Welcome to another episode of the bonus series, the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we're talking to the experts and getting them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in property investing. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm grateful to be here with you today. If you're a fan of the podcast, please click on the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. I've had the good fortune to talk to a lot of great guests on this podcast, all of them experts in their fields, and all of whom have given fantastic insights into the property investing journey. Every so often a guest comes along who is so very humble and keen to help other people succeed by avoiding the mistakes that they themselves have made. And one such guest is Frank Ambezi. Frank is an investor buyer's agent and co-founder of Fresh Start Advisory. And he and his business partner co-founded Fresh Start after Frank fell into the trap of buying off the plan at a property investment seminar. Not to say that that's always a bad thing, but for Frank, it didn't go well. And it made him more determined to help Australians learn from his mistakes. Frank has come up with a tremendous model for assessing investment grade property and he joins me today to share it with us and talk through the finer points of what he's learned to look for on his property investing journey. Welcome to the show Frank. Frank Ambezi, thanks for joining me on the Geared for Growth podcast. Welcome to be here Mike, it's a little uh, pinch yourself moment. I remember listening to your podcast was probably one of the first property podcasts listening when I first started my journey so it's uh, thank you and it's a delight to be here. I mean that is very very touching but I honestly it doesn't sort of compute for me because I kind of think pinch yourself moment is meeting someone in much higher echelons up than me but I, I appreciate it nonetheless and uh, obviously since you, you reached out back in the day we've, we've had some good chats and I've been well overdue getting you on the show. This particular part of the Geared for Growth uh, podcast we're looking at the property investing journey from start to finish and I think it's really important to define what is an investment grade property. Now I thought you would be a great person to get on the show because not only do you know the answer to that, but you've put it into a nice little package where you've broken it up into three segments, which you like to call the tantalizing trio. There's some great alliteration there and the content's good as well. But what are those three components? What makes up that tantalizing trio? Yeah, good question. So why we named it that was because tantalizing trio means, I guess, the tease or torment, which we're not, we're making a bit of a mockery of the traditional way of investing, which we're not trying to, you know, bag anyone or the other, the old traditional way, but we're just showing that there's a different way of investing in property. So we're looking at properties that are in that are cash flow positive, that are in high growth areas, and that are got value add. So there are three components that we're chasing. So these properties that are scalable, of course, they won't affect your lifestyle, and they literally have little to low risk involved when it, when you're trying to build a property portfolio, which is the main key, I guess, as a property investor. We want to go out there and minimize as much risk as possible, and we don't want the property to affect our lifestyle, which is super important. I think the old traditional way of investing used to work back in the day. I guess from my grandparents or my parents, the way they were invested in property, but now we live in a, a different day and age and things have changed completely. You can see interest rates are record low, but inflation has grown dramatically in the last 20 years plus. So things have changed dramatically. So we're trying to make this nice, easy, simple process for our clients. So these probably don't affect their lifestyle, basically. Let's let's break them down individually if we can. High yielding. So I can remember a couple of years ago, there were whole businesses designed around finding cash flow positive property. Now, 
These days we're spoilt for choice, right? There's cash flow positive property everywhere if you're not looking at, say, blue chip Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. So when it comes to the yield, you obviously your second point is high growth. Is there a sweet spot where you, you might be able to find, say, 6 or 7% yields, but they're not going to be high growth, but around the 4 to 5, there is still that capital growth opportunity? Well, look, we're, lately we've been looking at all our clients' portfolios and we've been getting double-digit growth for our clients in year long, one alone. So some of the great results that we've had in six months, some clients have achieved 26 that's our best uh, result for our clients. So we've been averaging double-digit growth. So we've looked at it. It's been 18% plus in the last two years since we started our business, which has been crazy or phenomenal. We're smashing the Australian average, which I think is 6 or 7%. Yeah. Uh, it's just looking at property markets from a different worldview of just looking at it from, I guess, what's driving the economy, looking at infrastructure projects, looking at, I guess, movement of people, job creation, and a whole other bunch of data that we're looking at to pick these locations. So, you know, it's just finding, I guess, these, you know, I guess, golden nuggets where we can help our clients find those properties that are going to help them build wealth. Yep. And what are the typical yields that you're purchasing properties at for the investors where you're sort of saying it doesn't really encroach on their day-to-day lives? It's not taking money out of their pocket. So let's say 5.8 is the lowest, but we hover around 5.8 to 6% and yep. then anything above. So sometimes we go for higher, I guess, yielding properties as well. So that helps with their serviceability, helps with them adding extra cash to their personal income as well. And those properties can you know, go 7 or beyond. So we've achieved from 7 to 9% and those properties are just different like you know blocks of units or duplexes things like that they're going to help accelerate i guess their portfolio as well and their income now there's always been this argument of capital growth versus yield or growth versus cash flow and there's this pervasive notion that you can't have both now i feel like you've already argued against that point but if we focus on your second point which is looking for high growth is there a point where you can't get too greedy with the yields if you want to get growth so if you're hell bent on getting an eight percent yield you're probably going to have something that doesn't have as much upside potential would you say yeah depending on some of those assets yeah if there's some of those eight percent yields or seven percent yields are like say like i said um blocks of units or duplexes or triplexes those properties might not grow as well as i guess a freestanding home but they're still going to be growing in value so that we can still produce some good capital growth but as well we're just using a different strategy because we can't just be investing in just i guess one purely asset, which is say a freestanding home, we want to start diversifying getting different assets as well in our portfolio. So down the track as well, eventually everyone wants to start getting towards commercial or maybe some rooming houses or going doing developments to change up the portfolio. Because if we just keep investing in one type of asset, of course, we might get stuck. We we need something to free up our borrowing capacity as well and help improve our borrowing capacity as the journey goes along with our property portfolio. Yeah, I guess it becomes a game of beating the banks or financing and bankrolling yourself after a certain amount of time. Now, give us some secret sauce. We You talked about some of the things that you look for from a growth point of view, like infrastructure projects. What are some of the other things that you look for as indicators that you're looking at a market that you think has some big upside potential? Yeah, so with those infrastructure projects, I guess as well, job creation. So jobs getting created in different industries and sometimes as well looking at different, you know, there might be a logistics company coming in and 
and starting and they might be creating a lot of jobs or maybe there's a port upgrade and that's going to be producing a lot of jobs or maybe there's new schools or universities, things like that. There's something happening to the economy and that makes a lot of sense that, okay, why are they doing these things? They don't start putting in new hospitals or schools or, you know, port upgrades for no reason. There's something starting to happen. And as well, when we start looking at it as well, movement of people. So I think internal migration is very important. A lot of people have left Melbourne and Sydney. I think it was about over 40,000 in Melbourne and, you know, a lot of them went actually to Queensland. So we're looking at why they're going there and what's going on. So well, it's sunny, Frank. movement of people, excuse me? I was going to say, well, it's sunny, Frank. <laughs> yeah, that too as well. I think I think COVID's had a lot to do with it as well. You know, working from home, they can yeah. you know live where they've always dreamt of living and they can work from home. So that's had an effect as well. And then we're just looking, I guess, at past data of looking at stock on market, days on market, you know, vacancy rates, inventory level, and a whole bunch of other little things that we look at. We've got a, like a 71 process of what makes an A-grade location. And we're looking at a lot of data points to see what's going on. And these things happen slowly. They don't happen overnight. It's not like the stock market where, you know, things go up dramatically and come down dramatically as well. A property is a long-term thing. So if we look at data from the last three years, these things are starting to change. And so when those things are starting to change, we can start to make an informed decision. Yep. So there's a lot of things involved with property. It's not, I guess, a, you know, keep telling me the top three fundamentals. There's not really, there's there's that many. It's, you know, it's endless. And it can be endless for some people, of course, or some data nerds. But I guess you've got to have a, a good, I guess, a good solid at least 20 plus fundamentals that you're looking at to make a good informed decision. Mm. Yeah, it's not just, say, population growth or migration that's going to make it. Is There's a lot of, we're coming up to an election, which I feel like nobody's talked about too much yet, but we've actually seen infrastructure being one of the policies of the major parties. This is more sort of my part of the country than yours, but they're talking about a rail connection between, say, Sydney and Newcastle, where it's cutting down the time from you know two hours to, to 45 minutes or something like that. There's inland rail, I know, happening sort of to the north of Victoria to Aubrey and places like that, I believe. Are there any big things that you see in the pipes, perhaps as part of that election or that was already on, on the table that you're looking towards? You know, things like the Olympics is another good example? Yeah, so with the Olympics, that's a good topic because people ask me that question a lot mm. and if we look at you know back in sydney 2000 when the olympics happened there i guess the property market done quite well but compared to some other uh, other places in um australia they actually outperform sydney so it will have some sort of effect but i don't think it's going to have a dramatic effect as what everyone's thinking it's going to be if you just look at past history i think a lot of people coming from overseas but a lot of those people are going to affect the property market mm, maybe not yes or no it's very i guess you can't really answer that question until it comes but things like you know inland rail and some of these things can have a, a massive effect on the economy and on that environment as well but as well i think you got to look at things as there's an inland rail going from depending where it's coming from we got to you gotta start looking at data and start saying how many people actually commute and take that transport link because sometimes that's not going to have an effect as well so there's, it's going to be a number of things but i think there's a lot of things in the pipeline and i think for i guess people that love and want to invest themselves that's something to look out for which is something we do look out for as well but there's this you know we there's a number of things as well. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well.
we'll mm. look at. And I suppose in some ways all infrastructure isn't created equal. For example, if it's a road, you're going to have people that are building the road. So they might move into the area for a short time or they might just rent in the area. So you might get a temporary increase in, in rents, but it's maybe not a long-term driver of property prices. Whereas say a shopping centre and a hospital going into an area could be completely different, right? So I guess it's important that you're looking at the type of infrastructure rather than just cash is going into a certain point. Yeah, exactly. And I look at it as well, when we're looking at industries that are driving that economy, we want to look at least five or more that are driving that economy. So it's not just one-sided on, I guess, a mining town. We want to make sure, of course, there's going to be other industries that are driving that market. And if we look at past data history and seeing if that's been increasing in the last four years, then we can start to say, okay, this things are starting to happen. And that's when you start to see different infrastructure projects in those industries start to, I guess, get developed in those markets. Yeah, good advice. Though it's ruined my next question as to where's the next mining hotspot I should invest in for 50% growth in one year. Obviously, that's not your jam. That's fine. We'll, we'll get we someone get else. Port Hedland. I think Port Hedland done 79% last year. So people have been running there going crazy. But I guess we all know about the Port Hedland, what happened, I guess, back in 2010. Yeah. I mean, as a listener of the show, you've probably heard me interview some very clever property people and they basically all say they aren't clever enough to be in that sort of short-term hotspotting game with the mining stuff. So if it's not for them, it's certainly not for me. Let's talk about the third part of your tantalising trio. I keep saying that. I enjoy that. <laughs> That's a good... I'm glad you do. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Thank you. Uh, it's the little things. The value add potential. So we all kind of understand that you know, the flipping, the renovation shows are on TV. So we're familiar about being able to add value. But typically, are there certain types of things that you look at as a value add? Is it things like development upside or, or maybe just like coat of paint or a reno or adding a, a bedroom? What, is it, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so it depends a lot on the client. Everyone's got a different appetite. So some clients have a really passive approach where they just want to do a buy and hold, get something a little bit that doesn't need too much of a, a renovation yep. some clients want to be more active so they wouldn't mind doing the kitchen upgrade or doing a bathroom upgrade maybe doing some flooring depending and then i've got some clients as well that really want to have an active approach and say let's look long term let's look for something i guess still producing great uh, return of growth but as well let's aim for doing a development 10 years from now so we start looking at zonings and we start looking making sure that we can get the block and we it's got no easements or sewage lines on there so we can do something down the track and they have a, i guess we're looking at, i guess 10 years ahead and they might have an approach of doing a development, putting maybe four or five townhouses on it, depending on the person's approach. Or some people as well, we have a, a thing where we're looking for granny flats. So we can add a granny flat to the back of the block and then that can you know help increase the cash flow by doing something like that. It can be $150,000, maybe 200 now because of you know goods and material have gone up. Mm. But you know some of those granny flats can return you know 250 to $300 a week. Yeah. So everyone's got a different approach. Some clients as well, we can look at you know a good land size block and they can subdivide the back and sell the back off and as well release a bit more cash and then they can use that for their next uh, you know purchase as well so everyone it just depends on the client we look as well you know adding a small renovation some people might think it's a, you know it's a lot of money it can be a waste of money but as well if you can do those renovations you know you can claim it as well depreciation on some of them depending on what they are a little plug for yourself you can go to Mr. Mortlock but as well most importantly you know if you improve the quality of the property and you just say you put ten dollars or $20,000 in but increases it by $50,000 you know or more you release that equity and use that to go for your next purchase as well so it's never not never a waste of money as well Thank you for the plug I appreciate that I'm available in all good bookstores and as Sean McAuliffe says even that awful one in Durban <laughs> we're getting off track here now when it comes to those renos 
if you're doing a cosmetic reno, kitchen, bathroom, that sort of stuff, do you have any sort of magical metrics where you're looking at, okay, for every dollar I spend, I want $2 back in Val, or if I'm spending 10 grand, I want an extra 20 a week for rent? Is there any sort of magic formulas you work to there? Yeah, so I guess we first want to make sure as well, we're looking at other properties in the market and seeing what they're going for and the condition of those properties. So it's like a bit of a comparable sales, I guess, looking at those sort of markets. And as well, I think the property manager has a big part of this too. So we try to sift out the best property manager that I guess that has the same values as us in the region when we're investing and we'll actually get them to ask and we'll say, listen, if we do a, a renovation, I guess, how much can we add to the, the weekly rent? And, you know, they'll give us a rough estimate and we might show them some different comparables that we've, we've, we've gathered off CoreLogic and then they can give us their point of view as well. Then we'll get a quote and see how much that's going to cost and see if it's going to work out or if it's not going to work out at this point in time. And we might have to wait, you know, maybe 12 months or more. Mm. So just making sure that we can do, do the right due diligence. And that, I guess we help our clients with that, getting quotes and getting the property manager, you look over the property and just getting a different point of view from different people. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm wondering when it comes to areas that fit these, these types of strategies, high yield, high growth, value add potential. I mean, it's going to it's gonna mark out certain parts of the country where houses are mostly new. Um, so suburbs where they're mostly new houses, there's maybe not as much value add potential or they're smaller blocks. Are you happy to share parts of the country that you see as, as potential for investors in the next couple of years? Yeah, so look, I'll share some states. I think Queensland is a great place. Yep. You know, you got Brisbane, of course. You got some regional towns in Queensland doing really, really well. Adelaide, you have a purchase in Adelaide as well. Adelaide's just been on fire. We're out of there, but that's that's really picked up and been a really, really hot spot. And yep. there's even WA and you know your your regional towns in New South Wales and Victoria. We do a lot in Queensland as well. So I say Queensland a lot. Look, I'll give you some locations. Just, you know, you got your uh, Bundaberg and Toowoombas. Yep. And they've done really, really well in the last 12 months. And I think they're just going to continue. Like you said, we don't kind of, we don't pick anything that's, you know, off the plan or anything like that. It's all existing and scarcity. Yep. Looking at that land that they can't build any more houses or around. So scarcity is the number one thing, I guess, when it comes to research, you know, supply versus demand. So there's some of our markets that we've been picking, I guess, North Adelaide, South of Adelaide as well has done really, really well. But then of course, there's there's so many regions that we can kind of say as well in Martin, Victoria, you know, you're, uh, sorry, I'm going blank here now. You've got your Warnables and of course you've got your Shepherdens as well and your, yep. your Maduras have done really, really well in the last 12 months. And I think they're going to continue just what's happening at the moment there and with all the, all the works, infrastructure projects projects and the movement of people as well. Mm. And the movement of people's a, an interesting one, isn't it? Because with all due respect to Mildurians, I can't think of why people would move there. I've never been there, so maybe I've, I'm just completely ignorant, happy to put that out there. But the working from home opportunities that we have now are such that they haven't been for a long time, right? This COVID situation is a forced experiment of working from home. So the way that people have moved around the country is different to what we've ever seen before. So that's of course, making some great opportunities for the regions. How do you see that playing out in the next few years? Do you think that companies will be saying, all right, we've all had our fun, get back into the office? Or is it a new flexible sort of society that we're going to have work-wise that adds more strength to the regions? I think we've, with going with where we're heading at the moment, you know, going with the times, I think that's going to be a big thing with a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. Of course, some businesses might have to go back to work and they're going to have that environment of the office and not working from home. But I think there's going to be a lot of industries, you know, that are changing the way they're moving with 
today's technology. So I think that's, you know, I, th- I know the Commonwealth Bank had a building in the city which was costing him $6 million a year in Melbourne CBD. They've closed that building down. Now they're saving $6 million and a lot of people are working from home. So banks and a lot of different industries are going to, you know, wreak the reward from working from home. And of course, some aren't. So I can see that still happening. And as well, I don't think it's been the biggest catalyst, but it's been a massive, eff- it's been an effect, I guess you can say in the last two years. But, you know, some of these places like Madrura and all the rest of them, you, you want to yourself who would move there and why would they move there and there's a lot of other things happening and sometimes the population growth actually doesn't increase it stays stable but those property markets are just growing in value because of other things that are happening in the market and having influence on the markets as well so it will contribute but i if they, everything went back to normal i think those markets will still perform just because of property fundamentals yeah that's that's really good advice interesting points on that and i think i think you're right well time will tell frank it's been a pleasure having you on the show and i should say to people i am actually looking at a beautiful little pdf of the tantalizing trio so if people are wanting to get some more meat on the bones with that you're happy for them to reach out to you at uh, fresh start yeah no dramas frank.a uh, at freshstartadvisory.com.au we can even go to our facebook page fresh start advisory or instagram we're big on instagram as well and we've even got our investing new page on facebook which is going to be our new podcast that we're releasing as well yeah awesome looking forward to that i think you'll be good on the uh, dangerous side of the microphone <laughs> frank great to have you on the first time we'd love to have you back and uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom and your charm today thank you mike for having me and uh, hopefully all the viewers got something out or listeners as well got something out of the today yeah i know they will for sure cheers mate thank you bye